Hello there, podcast listener. Amber Noel here. It's my turn to be a listener now. I would love to hear your thoughts about the podcast. The Living Church, as you might know, is a nonprofit communications ministry with a heart for Christian unity, especially in the Anglican communion. And we want to keep our mission sharp in all we do, including the podcast, and have fun, obviously. But would you write to me and let me know how we're doing? What's the podcast doing for you? Is it making a difference in your thinking, your ministry, your prayer life, your daily walk with your golden doodle? Do you have some hot takes on what we could do better? I want to hear it all. I might even read your comments on the next episode. There are so many great podcasts out there. I want to do more of what The Living Church is here to do and less of what it's not. So there are two things you can do to help. First, make sure you're following us from a podcast platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Find us on the page and click follow. The second thing you can do is email me, ambernoel at livingchurch.org. Share with me a thing or two you've gotten from the podcast over the years. And if you want, include something we might do better. Help us stay not just a great podcast, but on mission. Follow us, email me, A-M-B-E-R-N-O-E-L at livingchurch.org. I can't wait to hear from you. The Living Church, Catholic, Evangelical, Ecumenical. All right. So church leaders listening out there, how do you welcome technology into congregational life after the pandemic? Are you going to continue to stream your services every week? Are you going to pull back? Are you trying to figure out how or if to welcome virtual parishioners? Hmm. Are you excited by all these new possibilities? Or does the word virtual within a mile of the word worship make you cringe? Well, wherever you're at in your philosophy or theology on this, your desire to do it, your skill level, very, very few of us are not asking these questions about what's being called hybrid church. A couple of weeks ago, we set some framework around these issues with Dr. Sarah Schumacher. You might remember, if not, you should go and listen. We had a conversation with her about the spiritual disciplines and the personal and communal development of Christlikeness and virtue as it relates to technology. Our conclusion, discern, discern, discern. It is important to make space to discern, space that does not include technology, in order to figure out how best to use it moving forward, making choices informed by the leading of the Lord and not only by our fears, addictions, or reactions. Fair enough. But, of course, there are other factors at play here, too. So today we're going to get a different perspective from a rector who's been engaging technology for some time in pastoral care and evangelism, and especially social media and the internet. And he uses them not only as a tool, but as he puts it, as a place, a place for encounter. The Reverend Tim Skank has been rector of St. John the Evangelist Episcopal Church in Hingham, Massachusetts since 2009. He's also served parishes in New York and Baltimore, and in a former life, he was a political campaign consultant, a public affairs officer, and a paratrooper. Father Tim is the author of five books, including most recently, Holy Grounds, The Surprising Connection Between Coffee and Faith by Fortress Press, 
He is also the mind behind the online devotional many of you will know, Lent Madness. So, my fellow ministers of the gospel, should we embrace hybrid church? What the heck does that even mean? Today begins a two-part conversation on this topic, and what struck me about my time with Father Tim was his desire to encourage any church of any size to simply be themselves, to know what God has called them to do, and to take up the available resources to do it effectively. So how does that relate to screen time, smartphones, Instagram, staff time, budget, your own personal skills in front of the camera? Let's listen and find out. Father Tim Skank, good morning to you. Thank you for taking the time out to be with us today. What a great joy to be with you. You are in Hingham, Massachusetts, right? What's it like there these days? Are you vaccinated? What is what is the level of out and about in Hingham? Is it like walking the dog level? Or is it like we mask up to go to the coffee shop? Or is it like we're hitting the dance clubs? Ooh, uh, yeah, nobody wants to see me in a dance club. But uh, I'm, I'm vaccinated. Uh, many of the people that I know are vaccinated. And it is, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, a, it's a town... It's basically a bedroom community for Boston. It's on the South Shore, and it is, uh, you know, it's spring, spring in New England. It's beautiful. Well, we're going to be talking today, uh, Father Tim and I, about hybrid church, as you all know, and just the term hybrid church uh, and all of that it involves uh, includes a lot of contested ideas, but it really involves the same basic set of questions that are being put before all kinds of different congregations, um, large endowed parishes, parishes in urban areas, rural areas, small churches, mission areas. But with all that the churches have in common right now in terms of finding their way technologically through a post-pandemic landscape, a big factor, I think, in considering how you figure out what to do is context, really. How you use digital technology in worship or discipleship, maybe if you use them, will be affected by where you are, who you're serving. So, Father Tim, tell me about where you are. What is the community? Tell me about Hingham. Who are your people? What's your cultural landscape? Yeah, so uh, St. John's is a parish with, in normal times, we'd have three Sunday services, two in the morning and one in the evening. And we'd see about 250 people or so on any given Sunday. These days, uh, I, I think the question is, who knows what what our community is going to look like when we emerge from this pandemic. There's definitely been people that uh, perhaps have drifted away, and there's definitely people that have uh, joined the parish online. And so it's uh, I think that that's one of the big questions facing all of our churches is what exactly is our congregation going to look like? i'm I'm fascinated to find out. And then in your church bio on the website, it says that you're passionate about digital ministry. Can you tell us, when you say you're passionate about digital ministry, what is digital ministry and where did this start for you? Yeah, well, first of all, that sounds like an old bio because these days, everybody working in a church is engaged in digital ministry, right? So by that, you were, you were like, so it's so it like, oh, I, I answer my messages on Facebook. I mean, is that sort of what it meant at a certain point? I, you know, 
I think it meant that I uh, that I had uh, Facebook and Twitter accounts, you know. But um, okay. but I do. I I have always seen the potential of the online world as an important place for the church to be. And people used to ask me, "Why do you spend time on social media?" And my basic response was always, "Because that's where the people are. Uh, social media, the the digital world." Is is really the, uh, the has become the the town square or the general store where people would hang out and and share opinions and talk and be in relationship with one another and that's that's really what the internet has become so uh, so that's part of it but when I talk about digital ministry I think that the digital landscape is just a great place for evangelism and not not the uh, not the whole sharing of insipid memes of white Jesus and quoting scripture all the time. Nobody, um, nobody needs that, um, at least all the time, maybe occasionally. But by simply being your authentic self and modeling what it means to be a Christian through your everyday interactions and, and values. So it's really where the, the whole idea of Lent madness came from. So some of your listeners may be familiar with this ridiculous online Lenten devotion that I started in 2009, where we put 32 saints in a bracket and they duke it out throughout the weekdays of Lent. So it's trying to be a fun way where people can learn about and be inspired by a bunch of people who have come before us in the faith. So to, to me, that, that's just an example of what digital ministry can be. What other opportunities of ministry have you come across? Have you seen other people do, or have you been involved in yourself? I, I think that what we've seen during this pandemic, and uh, so many people have done just some amazing things with online worship. And I, I, I love that. I've, I've loved the spirit of creativity and adaptability and experimentation. Uh, you know, when, when I talk about hybrid church, yes, at, at one level, it is simply blending in-person worship with online worship. So having two audiences, but one congregation. So it's not just about punching a bunch of buttons on a video camera. I mean, it's it's that at its most technical, but it's also about hopefully sharing God's love with as many people as possible in a, so that there's some real authenticity to it. I mean, if it's just about the technology, then, then what's, what's really the point? And, and you, you spoke earlier about context. I think context is such the key to this. I mean, you don't need to have the production values of the Washington National Cathedral for hybrid ministry or online ministry to be effective. You really just need to be who you are and to be authentic. Congregations can really spend some time thinking about who they are and what they want to convey. And what I really have loved about this time has just been that that sense of let let's try, let's try something, and let's let's share God's word in a new way. But I want to go back a little bit to. A, a theological concern that I think a lot of people have, and I'd love if you could speak to this. Um, so how, how would you respond to someone who said, okay, Father Tim, 
you know, we're, we're Christians. We, we understand we need to be missional. We need to be flexible. We, we have freedom to be creative, but look, we're sacramental people. We're formed by embodied practices of worship and relationships and so on. So we hear what you're saying, but except for attracting people to worship, um, or responding to folks on Facebook or announcing things or helping people who are in an extended circumstance, like someone who's homebound, really in a very regular sense, at the very heart of it, ministry is not done digitally. That's just a contradiction in terms. What would you say to these folks? I'd say that uh, that at, at one level, you're absolutely right. Look, hi- hybrid worship is not about double-clicking for salvation or suddenly oh, be... <laughs> I know, sorry. Um, oh. You can keep trying, keep clicking away. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's, you know, and, and it's, it's not about suddenly becoming a disembodied church. Jesus is the incarnate son of God, not, uh, the, you know, a, a hologram. And ours in particular is a liturgical, sacramental, embodied tradition. That's just who we are. Human touch and contact will always matter. I think in, in a lot of ways, it's, it's why many of us have, have found our way to the Episcopal Church. But, um, you know, so I, I do think that being part of an embodied community will always matter. But I think we can still learn some new things and be shaped in ways that continue to invite the mystery of God's presence in new ways. So I look at hybrid church not as a, um, not as a, well, more of a, a supplement rather than a replacement to embodied community. And I, you know, I, I think about, I think about uh, it in terms of, it's not just Sunday morning, right? So you think about Zoom Bible studies, for instance, that have, that have cropped up all over the place. And boy, those, um, th- those are real conversations. Those aren't virtual. <laughs> That's not virtual faith. That is, that is real faith. And this is real engagement um, with scripture and real discipleship. And that is hybrid ministry. So why would we suddenly yank away something that's been great for people? I really feel um, convinced that real ministry can be done digitally. To this question, I, I get it um, that digital ministry doesn't work for everyone. While some people during this pandemic, for instance, loved loved worshiping at home and staying in their bunny slippers and drinking coffee, uh, you know, for others it just never resonated. Maybe it left them feeling disconnected, or it felt too passive, or it made them miss in-person worship even more. But just because something doesn't work for you doesn't mean that it shouldn't be made available for others. We're going to have some people listening today who are really excited to hear what you're saying and who are like, yes, Father Tim, please tell me how to do this and how to do this well. And you'll have other people who break out in hives when they just hear hybrid church. And as you're talking, a couple of questions come to mind. Um, One is this question of giving people what they're looking for. So preferences and saying some people really will miss being in person. They'll come back as soon as they can. They'll realize that digital is not the same as, as participating in, you know, the Eucharist and being together with a congregation, et cetera. 
And you may have other people who say, oh, shoot, I'm staying home with, I'm staying home with, with my Keurig and my bunny slippers. I think a lot of people are going to have a question about how that, how something like hybrid church connects with discipleship and not simply falling into a consumeristic model of church where um, people say, I prefer this, I prefer that, and you give them what they want, rather than saying, no, at some point, all of our preferences and all of the kinds of things we would rather do are going to be encountered um, by the, the disciplines of the church, by the spiritual disciplines, which we talked about in the last podcast episode. How would you, how would you respond to that? You know, one of the things that we can't do is pretend that this pandemic never happened. And one of the great lessons when you talk to people about this time, you'll hear a lot of them say um, that, uh, oh, I, I, uh, what, what this really did is it reminded us that the church is not the building, it's the people. And, and that's absolutely true. On the other hand, what it also did was remind people about how much they crave and need and love, not just community and people, but sacred space, which is what our churches have to offer. So I, I think that um, I think that's that's critical. You know, if if we're not going to, uh, th- th- it's already happened. It's it's not as if this is new. This is this is the world in which we live, and so it's a challenge for the church, especially in a context where uh, the way we've always done it is is can can be an idol. <laughs> You know, and and so um, some of this is going to be uncomfortable. You know, I, I think that um, that expanding the net is better than limiting the net. And again, you know, we keep keep coming down to context, and um, and that's important. And so uh, so are people's individual preferences. And and I mean, we're we're all called to discipleship. We are all called to follow Jesus. But that doesn't necessarily mean that there is only one way to do that. So I think about uh, the story that I always get back to is Jesus calming the storm, right? So a storm's raging. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. Things are, things are flying all over the place. Things are changing. Things are uh, uncomfortable. Things are scary. But Jesus is right there in the boat, <laughs> sleeping, uh, so things are, um, things are disruptive and yet they're also stabilizing because Jesus is present with us through all of this. And I think that's one of the things that we just have to keep in mind as, as we, as we enter into what will continue to be somewhat of, uh, somewhat of a storm. If you're paying attention to the lectionary, you know that pretty soon we'll be in the Gospel of John. Well, Rowan Williams and Augustine scholar John Cavadini are joining us to help you preach. The Living Church Institute and New City Press are pleased to invite you to a free masterclass on June 8th on Augustine's homilies on St. John, focusing on the art of your preaching. The online event is open to all, and it's for preachers and teachers especially. For more information and to register, just click the link in today's show notes. Well, I think it's interesting that you bring up this notion of the, or this fact, I should say, not just notion, of the sovereignty of Christ and um, his sovereignty over his church. 
And the church, we all know, has made various decisions about various things over the centuries, now millennia. Some have been great. Some have been not so great. Some have been awful. Um, but when it comes to, you know, do I continue to live stream my services or not? Do I continue to do Zoom discipleship groups or not? It's not as if if you picked up a hybrid church model and then you decided, you know, for theological or practical reasons, you know, I'm just not comfortable with this. I really don't. This is not my calling. You can always pull back. You know, if you're if you're calling people to have some courage and try something new, there may be um, some folks who may want to try something, but then if it doesn't work, you can stop doing it. And and Christ is still, you know, he'll he'll take care of you, and he's still Lord. Yeah, I, I, one of my um, one of my mantras throughout this time has been, be faithful, and be flexible. And as communities of faith go into this uncharted territory, the first thing is, is, is to keep, keep praying. Um, that's, that's the faithful part. Um, but the other part is to, is to be flexible. And, you know, there are going to be all sorts of things that, um, that maybe we try and maybe it's a disaster. Um, you know, nothing's, nothing's set in stone. This is all evolving really in real time. And so um, it's, it's one of the reasons that I love having conversations about this stuff, because um, people have, uh, have different approaches. They've tried some different things. They've seen what's worked. They've seen what's, um, what hasn't worked. I think that some people get really worried because they think, well, wait a minute. Does, does this mean that, um, that someone in their, um, in their kitchen can hold up a, um, you know, a, a ginger snap? And a diet coke, and suddenly you know touch it to the screen, and it's gonna it's gonna be consecrated. Well, well, no, um, that's that's not that's not how that's not how this works. Um, but I don't think just be, because because that's not how it works doesn't mean that we shouldn't still try some different things. So the next thing that that I think we should go into here is this question of discernment in people's own contexts. And this can be done personally. It also can be done, and we must do it communally. So I'm wondering, as you have been pastoring your people through this time, and you've been engaging digital technologies, um, do you have some stories for us illustrating how you've seen different specific tools working or not working in your context as as you've experimented? And then also, how have you pastored your congregation in learning how to engage these tools um, and set boundaries for them, for example, so that they're not in their kitchen holding up a ginger snap and a Diet Coke and, you know, doing sort of things that are liturgically inappropriate or having understandings that are inappropriate, such as, well, it doesn't make a difference if I ever go into a church building or, you know, worship with a congregation ever again because I'm just there in, in my spirit, you know, and sort of have a Gnostic understanding then of what worship is. So how do you pastor them, you know, theologically and practically through this? What have you seen work? What have you seen fall flat? What are you still working on? It's a, it's a, great, uh, it's a great question. I always, think about, um, I always think about parenting when I start to think about some of these things and, and how as parents, um, those of us who've, who've 
done that. Um, we, we, you spend so much of your time fighting the good fight, trying to get your kids off of screens. And, uh, and, and now here we are saying, oh, oh no, um, come onto the screen, do uh, Zoom Sunday school or, or watch, watch the service or, um, you know, and, and it's um, the, the whole issue of, um, of being distracted and um, boy, those uh, those rabbit holes of whether it's TikTok or or Twitter, or doom scrolling or, or whatever it is. I mean, there there's there's absolutely some spiritual danger there, and um, so some of it is is just trying to instill that sense of looking up <laughs> rather than than looking down, um, and I mean that both physically and and metaphorically. Um, so, so that's, that's an important part of it. I, I know that um, I, I have people here at, um, at St. John's who the thought of seeing anybody in the worship space with a cell phone or an iPad is just like, I come here to get away from that stuff. Yeah. In our last podcast episode, actually, the, the guest mentioned the example of the cinema, that when we go to the movies, people would be so mad if you didn't turn your phone off or if you, you know, people go crazy about it. Um, and then, but in church, you, you have varied reactions to it, as you said. Yeah. Right. Because for, for others, it's like, Hey, you know what, if I want to live tweet the sermon, that's evangelism, that's sharing, that's sharing faith with other people and, and perhaps, um, inviting them in or, or sharing a point that will, you know, be, be helpful for them. So, it's, um, I, I don't think that we've had any of this figured out and, um, it's, it's, um, it's, we're, we're going to struggle. Hopefully it's going to, it's going to be a creative tension and not just a tension tension. One of the things that, um, that's been great about pandemic worship from, from my perspective, uh, and, and the online worship has been interactive prayers. And so, you know, look, this is a, this is a stiff upper lip New England congregation, right? Nobody is during the prayers of the people. Nobody's uh, yelling out prayers, or you know, you can I, maybe you'd hear someone if you're really close mutter something under their breath, you know. Um, but when it came to online worship, people were sharing uh, sharing prayers in the chat and and really um, deeply personal, moving things, and I felt like. As a community, we got to know one another in some really um, deeper ways. That's wonderful. And how how can you, when you move into a uh, into a hybrid space, how can you continue to encourage that kind of sharing and that kind of connection? Often, um, with with the prayers with with our online services, um, the the clergy would would read back some of the prayers that were that were popping up in the chat and people found that to be incredibly moving as well so i think this is a question about transition that a lot of uh other rectors and church leaders have and for example you mentioned people putting their prayers on facebook a lot of people feel safer saying something online than they do in person this is a known fact some people feel safer being pretty nasty and some people feel safer being sweet or opening their heart or or reaching out to 
family and friends that they would feel more shy about, uh, more shy about to do in person or even over the phone. Now, my question is, how do pastors help transition these folks, as you were saying, um, into um, continuing to bring that uh, vulnerability, for example, um, that openness, that connection to community, into as they're able um, in person spaces and contexts outside of the digital space? Do you have you said anything explicitly ever to your congregation? What's your strategy there, Father Tim? Yeah, well, it's it's interesting because um, again, I, I think about okay, and and. Uh, I think just about every community experienced the fact that while our doors were physically closed, the church was wide open. I've been amazed at the number of new ministries that have um, started during during the pandemic when the church doors were closed. I have been really impressed with um, what what you might call and, and what we're referring to as crowdsourced pastoral care. And, um, and so by that, I mean, people during this time have really taken care to reach out to one another. You might not know this, um, but these, uh, these smartphones that we carry around have this amazing um, function where you can actually press some numbers and talk live to somebody on, on the other end. It's amazing. Um, <laughs> But, I'm uh, sorry. That sounds scary. Yeah, I, I know. I don't Scar- know. Yeah, yeah it, it. Well, it's it's terrifying. But um, but it's uh, it's been amazing to watch people in this community reach out to one another and care for one another. And again, that's that's exactly the spirit that that we want to. We don't want to leave it in in the pandemic. We want to carry that through into this post pandemic church. And so a lot of it is just encouraging people to continue what they've been doing. And you touched on this a little bit, but I want to hit it more explicitly. And that's this question of resources. Uh, There's some talk about digital parishioners, like, oh, I live in Oklahoma City, but, you know, boy, oh boy, I really love this church in Grand Rapids that I've been attending online. I think I just may, you know, forget about Oklahoma City and finding a church in Oklahoma City. I'm going to keep going to this church over here in Grand Rapids. That's my parish now. Well, what if, you know, the sort of the humble churches around you aren't doing what if this it's a, it's a matter of not doing something that's cool enough or accessible enough um and so people are actually going to larger churches or churches who can afford a slicker presentation with with their online offerings will they end up having an upper hand over churches that can't um and i just think of you know when when paul in the epistles is saying you know hey rich people stop going to the agape feast and eating up all the stuff before the poor people can get to, they're bringing their little picnic snacks and you're, you know, eating all the good food first and they're not getting much at all. Um, I think there might be some concern there. Um, how would you, how would you speak to folks who would be in that position? Yeah. Well, first of all, I kind of been joking about being an accidental televangelist throughout this right. time. And I think we've, we've all been, we've all had to be televangelists, not, not very, uh, I mean, televangelists without private jets in my case and, and that kind of thing, which is, which is a shame, but, um, but the and I can attest, like I can see father Tim right now. And I can attest to the fact that 
his hair is not large. Yeah. It no, doesn't I know. have I, I, the height and the volume of the Yeah, wonderful... I need to work on my bouffant. It's it's true. <laughs> um, God, but, uh, by the way, God bless all the televangelists who are doing good work. But the hair does tend to be large. Yeah, it, uh, it absolutely does. But... Um, but I, uh, but but back to the to the question about resources. Um, this is this is something that's um, you know I I'm in a in a wealthier, whiter community where everybody has access to the internet pretty much. I think that's absolutely an issue. What I what what I, I'm particularly concerned about communities of color, but there are also um, many many communities where they're just uh, the the resources aren't there, the internet connectivity isn't there. And um, we can't be, we can't, larger, um, more resource churches can't be the only ones that come out of this pandemic and survive. Otherwise, I think we're going to have a lot to answer to. Um, yeah. I, I, but on the other hand, I've seen small congregations who have, um, who've really embraced Zoom, um, you know, and, and if, um, if if your eighty year old parishioners can learn how to zoom, well, that's pretty inspiring. What can't we learn in 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 that case? But also, I I think it's a reminder that uh, as as clergy, we don't have to be the technology gurus um, in this. I mean, that's what I mean. There are so many people with with gifts and skills that that probably uh, ha- haven't been tapped. Um, for ministry, that um, empowering some some um, some lay leaders to to work on this stuff is uh, is is really important. But again, you know, it it doesn't it doesn't have to have you don't have to have incredible production values, right? That's not what I think people are looking for. Some people some people may be looking for it, um, but I think most people are looking for humble, honest, authentic connection to God through Jesus Christ. I, I guess I'd say that I, I think that di- digital sheep stealing is probably um, an overrated phenomenon. I mean, I, I hope I'm right. And I, and I think I am. That, that may be the case. And something else also strikes me. I've had the experience of watching during the pandemic. Oh gosh, I, I attended an Easter service at the Vatican, quote unquote attended, you know, and it was beautiful. And then um, I have also attended my local church um, when we weren't meeting outside. Uh, we've had to just do online, um, really morning prayer with a sermon is what's is what's happened when we haven't been able to meet um, outside in person. And then I have also attended um, a Black Baptist church online um, where a friend of mine is the Sunday school superintendent. When I visit her, um, we either we've gone in person when we've been able to, and when we haven't, we've watched from her living room. And the different kinds of production values, depending on the size of church and the culture of the church, and the cult, there are different cultures of ways of using technology, which are really fascinating. And what, and what I have found so valuable is, as just as you said, Father Tim, is when churches are being themselves, when they are embracing the the technology they have and the production value that they're able to to give and being really genuine with who they are. It actually reminds me, this may sound a little silly, but it reminds me a little bit of the ways that celebrities have kind of tried to break down the fourth wall, um, not just during the pandemic, but for the past five, six, seven years. As celebrities have been on Twitter, for example, you could follow 
you know, Jim Carrey on Twitter and just hear his random thoughts all day. And then you feel like you have this connection to Jim Carrey. Well, you kind of do because it's, it's this way of, um, using production value to break down and to kind of shatter the, the fakeness that a production can bring. Does that make sense? Yeah. One of the things that, that we did through, one of the things that we did throughout the pandemic, uh, my, my associate priest and I, what we did on that very first Sunday and we continued throughout the, the time of, of online church is, is we kind of thought, okay, um, we need to give a little people, we, we need to give people a little bit of a buffer in order to, to log on. So we would start the broadcast, we'd go live at 9.50, right? And what we would do for 10 minutes, and, and we jokingly called it the pregame show, and it would just be the two of us. And we would just, you know, we'd chat and, and, um, and we would just be ourselves. And, um, uh, and, and it was, it was just, you know, it was a little bit goofy and a little bit fun. And, and there's a little, little bit of a glimpse behind the, the collar, as it were. And, and I think that we can't be, I mean, maybe Paul could, we can't be all things to all people. So we just need to be ourselves and be faithful and let that speak for itself. Yeah, I totally hear you on that. And I just, I love that, that little pregame show moment. I also think that people could leave the camera on for 10 minutes while, you know, the altar guild is still getting things arranged and, you know, an acolyte is sort of goofing off or, or you, or you have, uh, you know, the rector arranging his notes on the lectern or whatever, where you just sort of see moments before, um, worship begins. Like you would if, if you were able to be there. Um, so homespun is okay. I think that's a word of encouragement today to people that homespun is okay and can actually be a community builder. It can actually be a witness to a, an online culture that can be very fake, that can be very image driven. Maybe even if you are a church who that is able to create a beautiful, really slick production, maybe at times not, not let it be so slick. Maybe let there be a few little cracks or a few little snags in the fabric that just remind everyone, you know, like we're humans here. Right. We're, we're called to faithfulness, not perfection. And that's, that's a really important thing I think to convey also in our, in our social media um, uh, lives. Uh, So much of what people can't stand about say Facebook is that, um, you know, you have your your entire life. Some of it's great, some of it's bad. But all you ever hear about are the absolute highlights, and you think that uh, everybody must be amazing. What's what's wrong with me? So um, being able to um, to pull back the curtain just a little bit, I, I think, is is an important witness. Yeah, absolutely. And if you can't do that in your you know your your Sunday service, maybe find other opportunities. Um, to do that. Father Tim, before we go today, what is one thing you would recommend to a parish of any size um, considering a next step in retaining or increasing um, their online presence post-pandemic? I think every parish should really have a conversation about their identity, specifically their digital identity, just in terms of what we're talking about, but I, I think it can't be a, a separate identity from their, their, their embodied identity. And, and there has to be some real connection between the two. So 
discern your your identity as a parish and then think about ways that you can communicate that identity both in person and online. I have been speaking today with the Reverend Tim Skank. He is at St. John Evangelist Episcopal Church in Hingham, Massachusetts, and they had an average attendance of 250, but who knows who they're reaching these days. Father Tim, thank you for being with us today and blessings on your ministry. What a great, great pleasure to be with you. And I'm just being with the Terry Gross of the Episcopal Church has been a pleasure. Terry, if you're listening, watch out. We're catching up with you. Thanks for tuning in to the Living Church Podcast, a ministry of the Living Church Institute. Catch us in two weeks when I'll sit down with Ephraim Radner and Wesley Hill for a podcast episode of Pentecostal Proportions. Where is the Holy Spirit in our failure? Well, it might not get us shouting hallelujah from the pews, but then again, it might. Tune in and find out for yourself or subscribe and never miss an episode. You can always donate to keep this podcast going at livingchurch.org forward slash donate or click the link in the show notes. As always, I'm Amber Noel, your host, and it has been good to be with you. Peace.